like the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. Welcome to the London Western Podcast. My name is Robert Fuller, and returning to the podcast is the co-host of the Attitude Era Podcast, Kevin Mahan. Kevin, welcome back. Hello, Robert. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and uh, this time we are talking about Westminster 27, when Undertaker in the streak takes on Triple H again. And this is a weird one for me because um, in terms of the match itself, I, I loved it at the time, and then started to kind of hate it because the it was a bit of a weird story that they did. And mm. some of the guys that I spoke to on Twitter about it don't like it because it seems to be a bit of a... One guy called it a masturbation fest because it it's all about all their achievements. They no, it was, it, it was a match involving Triple H in the main event, so everyone yeah. was bound to hate it. Yeah, <laughs> everyone true. on the internet, anyway. Yeah. So, um, during WrestleMania 27, you were living in Glasgow at that time, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I was living in Glasgow, and I was obviously. Uh, I remember watching, vividly watching uh, WrestleMania 27 in Glasgow, and I was obviously such an engrossing, uh, sociable wrestling fan at the time, aware of my surroundings that uh, I didn't know that ICW existed, or that Inside the Ropes existed, or that any of the amazing indie wrestling around Glasgow existed, or the wrestling scene in Glasgow existed. And then I left Glasgow later on that year, and. Uh, all these documentaries started coming out on Vice and BBC showing all the amazing fun everyone was having at all these ICW shows. And uh, I feel left out now. I feel like I was robbed of those experiences because yeah. of my own ignorance. Yeah, I mean, I've never really been much of an independent fan because it's, it's very, it's not like as well advertised, probably. But, yeah, uh, I, I like to think that, yeah, it was ICW's lack of marketing was the reason why I didn't know. it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to blame them, and uh, and it wasn't my fault for not being aware. It was their fault. How yeah. dare they? Yeah. But uh, I live in Liverpool now, and about an hour away is Preston, and, and there's a promotion there called Preston City Wrestling. Oh, PCW, I, I, know, yeah. I know it well. Like I want to get down to a show in the worst. Yeah. That's all I mean. The, I've been just having a spring slam at the end of this month, but I'm at work for that. Uh, but they're getting like really big names like AJ Styles, Jimmy Hart down to um, you know down to the show. So it's a really good, really good making it a good promotion. It's awesome, and people are people are talking about it not just in Preston, obviously. People are talking about it all over the country, yeah. and it's fucking awesome. It, you, you you kind of say to yourself, "Oh, it isn't rocket science, is it?" Surely to you know get some big stars who are big U.S. indie names, and get obviously some guys from you know stars of the past or whatever, and mix yeah. them on a card with with young up and coming UK based indie wrestlers. That being said, I imagine that is the most difficult fucking thing to organize, like and yes. you know in terms of getting everything. Everyone over, everyone. Oh man! It, but it's great. PCW puts on great shows, and everyone who goes to them speaks very highly of them. So I hope to go myself one day. Yeah. Um, well, that's my plan. I only live an hour away, but trying to get back might be a bit of a problem. Yeah, um, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, with this match, um, it all starts when they kind of promoted Undertaker's return, um, and it's kind of they kind of claiming like this like 
the last outlaw kind of thing. So uh, you're saying they're promoting the Undertaker's return, but at the time, myself included, everyone on the internet felt very much that WWE were telling us that Sting was debuting instead of the Undertaker. They uh, the whole thing they did with the the cabin and the rain and the, yeah, the boots yeah. walking across. Good lord, I swear I swear every dirt sheet website on the internet was was lit up for like two months straight. Everyone convinced that Sting was coming back and that it was Sting versus The Undertaker was what we were going to see at WrestleMania 27. Now, we're still waiting for that match, obviously. But uh, it is worth noting that it, the the speculation for it being Sting was so much that when Sting eventually returned to TNA around this time, because he had been gone yeah. for a bit, they actually parodied The Undertaker's return vignette with the, you know, with the Ain't No Grave Can Hold Me Down and all this stuff. They did a parody of that for Sting coming back, so... Yeah, people were people were upset that the Undertaker was back, and it was not Sting at the time, even though it was obviously awesome that the Undertaker was back. Yes, um, when the Undertaker returns in the ring, Triple H also makes decides to make his return at the same time. Uh, he got injured by Sheamus the previous year, um, and they both come in, and pretty much, pretty much, there's no words at all during this segment, which is really interesting and quite unique. Um, Undertaker's at this time after every Royal Rumble for the last few years after WrestleMania scientists hang up in the rafters. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was he painting the ass to bring that thing around all the yeah, time? Yeah, it Good. must be. Um, Triple H kind of points to it, kind of hinting, "Oh, you know, I want all of WrestleMania." Undertaker just like gives a smoke and then starts to walk away, and then he comes back, does like the throat slash, and Triple H responds with the DX chop, and that's pretty much the end of it. And then I think they announced on the website, "Oh, yeah, it's going to be a match." Between yeah, two. <laughs> yeah there's, there's, there's been less reason given for matches happening at WrestleManias in the past, I suppose. But yeah, pointing at one's dick and then making a fake throat cutting gesture—that's good enough reason for us. Like, let's <laughs> let's yeah. have Triple H versus Undertaker, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, and then there's, there's been videos like um, because the, uh, they're still on now. These two are the longest active wrestlers in the company. I know Triple H is now going more like CEO kind of thing. And yeah. More seat, but at hey, he's still paid $2 million a year to be a wrestler, and that's outside of his corporate pay. So yeah. even though he has wrestled, like, he's wrestled like once or twice this year, he's still making $2 million for that. So yeah. uh, he's still getting paid a wrestler's salary. Yes. Um, pretty much. Um, so he gets lots of that, but there's a bit like, I think it's the war just before WrestleMania where they have face-to-face encounter. Uh, Shawn Michaels, who lost to Undertaker the previous year and ended his career, interrupts and uh, starts criticizing Triple H, believing he could defeat the Undertaker. Um, and the bit I remember at the end is like uh, Undertaker's like going to Shawn, like you know, he kind of gets Shawn to like back him up, as like saying, "Oh, you know, I'm going to beat him, all this stuff." Uh, but under Michael doesn't say anything; he just gives no answer and just leaves. Mm. And uh, that kind of, I kind of believe in that Triple H. He kind of believes himself. Yeah, you're, you're going to be done today for this match. And one thing I remember it felt, it felt like they were teasing that Michaels was going to be involved. Yeah, in this there, match. there was, yeah, a lot of rumors about that. But one thing, I felt but then we didn't really get that until the following year at the the rematch for this. Yeah. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. Was this the year that Michaels was going into the Hall of Fame? Uh, yes. Yeah, because there was there was one segment on Raw before this in the build-up, which I thought was 
absolutely brilliant, which was because Undertaker is rarely good on the mic. You know, yeah. I, I mean, in, in the ring with a microphone in his hand, cutting a promo, he's rarely good. He always stumbles his words. Yeah. But there was one promo he did on Michaels, which before this match, which was brilliant, which was he said that Michaels was going to go into the Hall of Fame full of regret knowing that he never was able to do what he said he could do and that he would never be as good as he was, you know, as he was portrayed as being and that he was a shell of himself because he couldn't beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania because, you know, all the stuff Michaels had said at WrestleMania 26 about if he couldn't beat The Undertaker, he had no career, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was a really effective, uh, you know, use of some, you know, some... Uh, past uh, storylines and you know using the hall of fame as actually uh as, as a good vehicle for that i thought it was awesome and like the idea of michaels even though he's retired being given a an, an excuse to be invested in this match it was really interesting like them actually saying you're going to go into the hall of fame full of regrets I'm like what a horrible thing to say it is. it's like it's yeah like, really cutting like it's like well done for being the hall of fame but <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, it's like yeah, that's 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 like that was like in PG era, you rarely get someone saying something where you kind of go, oh, that's personal, you know, because yeah. you feel like you can't do that without a swear word. But there you go. They proved that you can get that emotion without, you know, without dropping an F-bomb or, or whatever it was they used to do back in the day. You know, that that was really good use of uh, of storytelling right there. Yeah. Um, so we get to the match itself. Um, it's taking place at Atlanta. Um Ray comes up first. And I like his entrance here because he has the metallic song during the bell tolls play. And um, all these guys come over like law shields. And then they yeah, move that's like, cool. Yeah, and then they move really true in his king king costume. Like go dark and then lights up again with the triple H pound to play the game playing. Uh, and it starts to go down. The comments of this one are Jim Walter, Jerry Lawler. Because... Uh, um, those stories that before this was the back and cold Jerry Lawler match. And the less said, the better, I suppose. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> it's just a shame. I mean, I think, it, I think it was a great story. Yeah, thank you. This is funny because I, I get asked, like, I've been on a few podcasts and I've been asked the question routinely, which is, what match or angle do you like that no one else likes? So what's a guilty pleasure? The Michael Cole, Jerry Laurel, the story going into WrestleMania was one of my favorites in years. I thought it, it was is. brilliant. The match was a fucking, oh God, it was, it was, it, it was, was way too long. Oh, it was like 10 times, literally 10 times as long. It was 20 minutes. It should have been two. It was 10 times longer than it needed yeah. to be. And one, um, the one guy wins. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I suppose. It, it is worth noting that, I suppose, going into this match, that the crowd have been subjected to a very unique experience before Triple H and Undertaker had come yeah. out. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, there were bits of the, the coal sort of thing that I loved. I mean, obviously, I had the coal mine. I remember when Jerry Lawler faced the Miz at the Elimination Chamber. Oh, and then Cole was like screaming on commentary. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love Screaming by Lawler. I'm booking these like, calm the fuck down. <laughs> And when you've got like uh, Cole bringing back um, Brian Christopher, Jerry's yeah. son, and he's got weird teeth because he's obviously been on the uh, he's been on something like, and it's really awkward and sad, and like Cole just seems like the biggest monster ever. Uh, and also as well, while we're still just while we're gushing about that angle, the whole bit where they brought back he thought he's bringing back JBL to be the referee, but it turns out to be Austin instead. Uh, yeah. Michael Cole is wearing a white suit and he actually looks like Satan himself. <laughs> that is one of my favourite segments in Raw ever. Bravo, WWE. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, so when we get to the ticket's entrance, you hear the bell go out a couple of times. 
flame shoots out from the stage and there's smoke everywhere. And because uh, I, I, I didn't watch it live, I watched it a couple of days after. Um, and they were going on about. Um, they didn't play like the, you know, the normal theme tune. They played um, a Johnny song Cash. By Johnny Cash, which is. Ain't yes. uh, No Grave Gonna Hold His Body Down. But I got. I can't remember now because he got he sold the train on, but I got my brother this WrestleMania for his birthday, mm. and I'm pretty sure they played the normal Undertaker theme for that. Yeah, I think it was just the, I think they they dubbed over the the Metallica as well. I think it's just a case of what if it's someone like Johnny Cash who's like it's an old song that's probably owned by you know Universal or whatever. Yeah, yeah. the rights to to use it one off. It probably like cost them you know forty or sixty thousand dollars to use it for that one time live. But to use it on DVD, they'd have to pay astronomical amounts and actually give them a proceed of every sale. Yeah. So that's why, you know, example as well, Sandman, ECW, One Night Stand, when it was live, they played the song. When the DVD came out, yeah. they dubbed yeah. over it. So, yeah, it, it kind of sucks because I thought it was a really cool song. And I like the idea of Undertaker coming out to a, a slightly different song. You know, it yeah. was cool. Yeah, so um, that was stayed down for the Bell Wings. Uh, as soon as the bell rings, Tri- Triple H starts punching Undertaker. Uh, gets him in the corner, and then Triple H just, sorry, Triple H gets dragged by Undertaker and gets sent flying over the top rope. Um, this match, by the way, is no disqualification. Um, no hot boys do pretty much do whatever the hell you want. Um, this was the start where you started to feel in these matches with Undertaker that every year there was going to have to be a stipulation now or a gimmick because even though Undertaker is still an amazing performer, he does need, obviously because of old age and whatnot, or yeah. slowing down a little bit, he does need an ODQ setting, or a yeah. street fight, or whatever, or a Hell in the Cell. Just something else to work with, because, you know, it's hard after the streak is you know, been undefeated for so long, for it to be believable near falls if you don't have weapons or, you know, illegal yeah. moves being used. You have to use it now. So it's part for him himself physically, but part for just the the, the matches need them now, sadly, like. Yeah. Um, Tourist gets sent to the steel steps. Um, and Undertaker does feel it was one of the weirdest things to find about wrestling matches is that um, you've got to send someone through a table, so why are you dismantling it? Because you, because it's just good manners. <laughs> yes, I, just, I always find it weird. I know I get why they're doing it. Cause it's it's one of those wrestling's really weird because you you, you want to look like you're hurting someone, but you don't want to actually hurt them. And yeah, so it's one of those weird things. Like it's also like you know taking the top off, taking the monsters away. I'm like that. I think so. I get why you're doing it, but in terms of kayfabe, it's like that would actually hurt them more. Why are you doing that? I think for me, kayfabe wise, well, the only excuse I needed as a kid was seeing people trying to go through tables when they hadn't taken the cover off and it botching horribly. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, right, if you want to go through the table, you obviously have to take off the lid first. Yeah. Um, but Triple H stops that and Spears take you through the coal mine. Um, yes, that was awesome. That it was, was symbolic. <laughs> yeah, because um, at this time, the coal mine was situated in between the Spine Stand table and the normal announce table. Um, that should go back inside and then get some white hands with Triple H and but take a hit of flying clothesline. Uh, take goes for the old school, uh, but Triple H jacks him over the top rope and then he clothesline, take it over the top rope and then goes after him. And one thing I noticed about the commentary here is that they are talking a lot throughout the match about the streak ending. And you never really heard that before. I mean, the green bits you see is a spot. And they might talk about the street ending at that point. 
But uh, it's now- odd. It, that thing that almost hurt my enjoyment of the match. I remember yeah. watching it live at the time anyway, because I just really didn't feel that Triple H was going to win here. And I didn't think they had done enough to make you think that that might happen. It just really, the story going into this, it was gro- It was good, but I didn't feel like it was in jeopardy. I mean, because the one thing they did do in this match, I think which we, we didn't mention, was they failed to mention at any point Triple H and Re- Undertaker at WrestleMania 17. No, they not. just tried to gloss over it. And I understand why you do that in wrestling. If it's been a while since the last match, you, you just you, it, it hurts the advertisement of the match, they reckon. That being said, by completely ignoring it, it felt like they were trying to, to to pull the wool over your eyes and make you think that, oh, no, this has never happened before. And I thought that was kind of silly. And I, that and in the end, it made me feel like they were just trying to make it out like the Triple H could win because we're not going to mention him losing before. Whereas they could have simply said, oh, I was only, you know, I was younger back then. I didn't know the tricks I know now. That's all they had to say. But, you know, they didn't. And I think that really spoiled a lot of, uh, a lot of my enjoyment for this. Yeah, I think the WrestleMania 17 Triple H match, I think it's a really good match. Oh, it's awesome. I really but enjoy it. I find it's very underrated because I think it's just the way WWE treat it, which is like, I don't want to say it never happened. But it was, that match, that match was the result, Triple H didn't want that match at the time, the word was, you know, the dirt oh, cheese wow. or whatever, was that, you know, this match was the result, that match and then the Kurt Angle-Benoit match was the kind of like, well, the main event is full, so this you guys can wrestle each other. Both of those matches ended up being amazing, but Triple H viewed that match as being a step down from what he wanted, which was the main event that year. Oh, okay. But there you go, like. Yeah, I didn't, I did not realise that. Um, so I tried to add a story into that match as well. Um, mm. At this point, uh, Taker gets sent to the barrier by Triple H, and then he starts to dismantle JR's table. And I think so, there's already been a table dismantled for you, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, table heavy match. I know, yeah. Uh, Triple H bounces Taker's head off the table and then tried to pedigree him, uh, but Taker back by the back to the floor. That looked pretty brutal. Yeah, it was it was definitely a bump which a lot of people weren't weren't maybe seeing coming. There had been a lot of talk because Triple H had not wrestled in so long, and yeah. he came back and he was so big. He was even bigger than when he left before. Like, and there was all these stories that he had like he had got such a bodybuilder physique that he was actually having mobility issues. Yeah. And you know, it, I was worried in this match, thinking, oh, this Triple H hasn't wrestled in ages, and he's so fucking big now. I was thinking he's not going to take any bumps in this thing at all. Like, he's going to be just this big slab of meat. But you know, in fairness, he does take a couple of big shots in this, and obviously, going off the table there is, is one of them. Yeah, I mean, um, what we've got to mention is that yeah, he does because he, he has no matches. I mean, there's one bit where. He just destroys Se- Seamus in the second round and then pedigrees him for the announce table on the walls. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I, sorry, I forgot to mention that earlier, but one thing I found funny afterwards is that they reassembled the, the announce table. And oh, really God, it is. Yeah, normally when, you, when, it's, when it gets destroyed, it stays destroyed for the rest of the whole of the show. It kind of, yeah, it, 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 um, it it kills kayfabe a little bit. If the, yeah, they did it on Raw recently. Someone went through a table, then miraculously, an hour later, there was a new table in front of them. Like it was, it was kind of silly, really, when you think about it. Yeah, I always loved it. Um, I remember did WCW a few times. Um, it's like the table got destroyed, and then you see like Tony Giovanni and whoever it was, like you know Mark Madden or whatever, just sitting on chairs. Yeah, looking silly. Main event of WrestleMania 17, they go through the table by accident, and you have Paul Heyman on commentary going, "I got to look at the Tron. I've no monitors. I don't know what's going on. It's so funny." Like, yeah, um, take up Pasadena and does the suicide dive over the top rope. 
Oh man, quite go it would be well. WrestleMania without it, would it? No, but it does. I mean, obviously, I love to love it, and then I saw him almost get killed when he did it at WrestleMania twenty five. So I, I was there live. And oh, really? when you haven't got, yeah, well, I was there live for that one. And when you have not got, not to 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 go off on a tangent from from this WrestleMania, but when you don't have commentators telling you what's happened and replays every five seconds, and you've just seen the Undertaker go over the top rope and land straight in his head, and it's like you know two or three minutes before anyone moves. We were all convinced that the man was dead. Like there was no two ways about it. Because when you're just there live and there's none of the the kind of the the dressing, so to speak, of you know replays and what just happened and announcers, yeah, it's it kind of scary. Yes, I mean, I think it's. Um, I think I think it was. A, it would have been a great spot, but the guy who had to catch him had like half a second. Yeah. He- and he had to drop a camera as well. It was, yeah. It was, yeah. This was a much better effort all round. Uh, yeah. Slightly less scary. Yes, I mean, uh, I mean, Trimmer, I think it's because I think Undertaker is short, slightly short, but Trimmer doesn't love to at least semi catch him at this point. Yeah. Um, the steel steps at this point have been moved away towards the Spanish announce table, and Undertaker goes to Tombstone. Trimmer gets out of it and does one of my favourite moves ever, which is the double A spine buster. Oh, yeah, I love and, that. Oh, yeah. this is a great spot, yeah. Yeah, and he sends Taker through the Spanish announce table. It bloody explodes the thing as well. Like, <laughs> you realize how huge these two men are, and like yeah. they're going from a height. It just the table didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Um, the action gets. Uh, Triple H now sends it back to the wing, um, but take it. Matches recovering enough to hit his choke slam, and that gets two. Um, and then after the headbutt, Triple H gets him back into the corner, keeps him there with punches. Um, to go for a bit now where. Um, once it goes for the last wide, but Trippi gets out of it. And he goes for the pedigree, but he can't do it. Uh, and then once he does the snake hide, and he goes for the big boot, but Trippi does another double-A spine buster for two. I think what they're showing now is the, start of the, the real story of this match is is that none of Undertaker's stuff seems to be working. You know, yeah. he tries to he tries to choke Sam, doesn't work. Tries the last ride, doesn't work. Tries Snake Eyes, you know, doesn't work. They're making out the Triple H has like studied him and has an answer for all of his uh, all his moves. So Undertaker, you know, is in jeopardy now, which rarely happens at a WrestleMania like this. Yeah, and that's what I really like about this match because. Um... Obviously, I'm a big reunion fan, and he always talks about you know all the pro players like studying film and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you you would think some of the Western might like kind of look okay. I'm facing Undertaker. What should I not do? What should I do? And I was like, one was like, don't be cocky. Like, if you got the match won, like pin the fucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, it's uh, it's nice. You see, there's certain wrestlers, and they make it out like the commentators make it out like it's just like amazing, like a thing that if they've like scouted an opponent or you know made it look like they've done their homework, it's like shit. Shouldn't you all be doing this? <laughs> yeah. Like, shouldn't this be the norm as opposed to the one cunning man? It's like I remember um, there was WrestleMania. It was like Punk and Jericho, and Punk had Jericho in the Anaconda Vice, yeah. and like Jericho need him in the head, and the answer is like, oh my god, that's it's amazing. He thought to reverse the move. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought like? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not going to be in the move. Like, I'll, just, I'll just sit here and hope I don't tap out. Kind of yeah, it's kind of like, you think if you're going in with a guy who's got, you know, well-known moves, you'd scout them. But yeah, it, it, it works for, it works really well in this match. And it gets over Triple H's kind of, you know, cerebral assassin gimmick very strongly. Yes. Um, this is when they start to, I know it's like sending people through tables and coal mines and shit like that. But this is when he starts to like, get a little bit more hardcore because Triple H mm. gets a steel chair but he gets a big boot in the face um, 
Taylor gets the chair and hits Triple H in the back and tries to hit him again, but Triple H manages to hit the pedigree, but that only gets two. So we're first of many pedigrees here tonight. Yes, lots, <laughs> lots of pedigrees. Um, Taker then managed to hit the last wire, but that gets two, and Taker's not happy with that. Uh, then he hits his tombstone, that also gets two. And this, I said, it's back to like, he's getting frustrated because, like, what do I need to do here? It's like, that's the first trip. It's like the first show, Michael's Matt Ray's throwing yeah. everything at him. It's not working. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. It's funny. It's weird. I don't know if I'm, if, if I interpret it wrong, but it's kind of like, it's almost as if Undertaker wasn't expecting Triple H to put up this much of a fight. Yeah. I thought that it would have worked again now if they had mentioned that WrestleMania 17 match. That this story that they're telling now, which is Undertaker, his stuff isn't working. I thought it would have worked really well if they kind of like, but he's beaten him before at WrestleMania and he's beaten him with this very move, the last ride, but it's not working now. Like, but you know, again, by ignoring that match, they, they maybe, you know, kept a bit of that story under wraps as a result, which, which hurt it a little bit. Yeah. Um, Undertaker decided to try to go for another tombstone, but Triple H managed to get out of it and hit the DDT, sending the Undertaker's head up to the chair, uh, you know, onto the chair. Uh, Triple H then hits two pedigrees, both of them for two counts. Good lords. Yes. And then he, <laughs> uh, he drops, he gets the chair and hits Undertaker with it, you know, to the back, because, you know, we, well, later on that happened, but you know, you know, you like, no, we yeah, we were of course obviously in PG territory now, yeah. but uh, uh, hits him, him, him like nine times, but while telling him like stay down. Yeah, and it was it was really shocking to see because obviously you've seen Undertaker, you know, getting you know, people with their finishers on Taker, and they've obviously you know had the upper hand in matches, but no one's ever seen you know no one's ever seen the Undertaker dominated at WrestleMania with a chair, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like to see him actually just get the shit knocked out of him like that. And the crowd like didn't really know how to react as well. I remember the crowd being kind of like stunned into silence almost with all these chair shots. It's like, wow, Undertaker's old. He shouldn't be taking chair shots. But they're yeah. getting them and they're working that into the to their advantage. Yeah, but this is the bit now where um like Triple H is completely dominant in this match. Um Taker slowly gets up and then Triple H hits him with a chair to the head. Which, which is, got they got fined fifty grand for that one just so you're keeping score at home. Yeah. Um, yes, in a in a nice case of the rules apply to everyone, not just those of us who are who aren't CEOs. Yeah. <laughs> Triple H and Taker were were fined for using the chair shot to the head, which is outlawed, obviously in uh, in PG era WWE. Yeah, so. I think especially now with the whole with the whole when whole Benoit thing all kind of blew up and all that stuff, and then. Especially now, it's all a lot about concussions, especially in rugby mm. and the NFL. So, understand to be, I, I think the way I heard is that uh, they wanted to do it that way, but wouldn't to like take the fine kind of thing. Just for well, the, you know the, what? If you look going. at the chair shot they do in this one, and they, you know, not to condone chair shots to the head at all. I mean, if you listen to to, to the podcast I'm on, um, you know, we we get very squeamish about chair shots to the head. But if you put both hands up like Undertaker does here, you can actually have a chair shot to the front of the body that looks good and isn't that dangerous. It's not, you know, it's the problem comes with concussions is when you've got guys with their hands behind their back, sticking their heads out and taking a chair right in the back of their scalp. Like, yeah, and he did that an awful lot. And, you know, ECW guys did that a lot. And the Dudleys did that a lot. A lot of people are guilty of it, but, uh, you know, Undertaker, has the hands up. So he gets hit in the head with a chair, but I don't think the man was under any danger whatsoever of taking a concussion from that move. Yeah. You know, that's the way I see it anyway. Yes, I agree with that. Um, like, take us like someone to get up because you would have to be hit with a chair like 50 times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and having your three pedigrees as well, obviously, yes. you know. 
Um, Jimmy's still like kind of like, you know, stay down, stay down. Uh, Jada does try to choke her, but because it's so tired and it, like, it's literally fucked up here, uh, Jimmy easily deals with it. And then he does a tombstone, which is a bit weird because I watched this match before watching some of the other ones. And I didn't realize that people did tombstones on Ticket Fight a few times during the streak. I know Kane yeah. did it, but that was Kane finishing the move at the time. Uh, so Trivet does the tombstone while Shannon is over. Well, and... actually, funny about this moment is that I remember, like, I- I've grown to very much like this match. I remember while I was watching the match live, I remember being very unimpressed because I was, you know, obviously comparing it to the Shawn Michaels matches from the years yeah. before. And then when Triple H picked him up for the tombstone, I go, here, I went to my friend who was watching with, I go, here we go, finish coming now, Undertaker's going to reverse this and we can all go home. And when Triple H actually hit that tombstone, which is a weird sight to see Undertaker being tombstoned by a smaller man, yeah. I remember actually just for that split second going streaks over and i was like yeah. fuck it you know <laughs> all these years as a heart you know as a as a smart fan and the smarkiest fucker going when it comes to wrestling and they actually got me they made me think streaks over despite the fact that you know there was no danger of that happening at wrestlemania 27 but i really thought once that undertaker got the tombstone i'm like there's no way he's kicking out of his own finisher and uh yeah he does and i blew up as a fan it's like couldn't believe it they really got me with this one yeah i mean um and also with, with triple h right he does the way he doesn't take it would pin someone you know the arms are crossed, yeah. the facial expressions the tongue coming out it was, it was a great visual to have uh but it was like know, he stole it in a computer game like yeah. steal some finisher in smackdown is what he did like yeah <laughs> um gets a two count uh triple h has to go to you know another plan and go against a sledgehammer from under the wing um, see, it's a bit weird. I used to love the sledgehammer when I was younger. Not so much now because I've kind of think of it more real life. Like, if you hit someone with a sledgehammer, like the match will be over. Yeah, the th- the sledgehammer thing. It's like the sledgehammer worked when he was this like you know in two thousand when he was just this like young killer heel who was just yeah. taking things too far. But uh, but I always find it strange, like you know, a man in his late forties who has won the title 15 times or whatever it is, has to take a sledgehammer with him to the ring. It yeah. it just it really actually is counterintuitive. It doesn't work with his character. It seems silly. It's like yeah. you're you're surely you're confident enough in your own abilities to not need to bring a sledgehammer yeah. <laughs> with you to the ring. It seems like it doesn't fit him anymore. But that's yeah, just famous. Um, at this point, Undertaker's at the ropes. He's like he's practically dead on the floor. Uh, Undertaker drags him off it. But while he's doing that, uh, Undertaker, out of desperation, puts him in the house gate. And this could only go two, three minutes because Triple H is trying to get out of it. But he starts mm-hmm. to fade. And it looks like when I first saw it the first time, I still do. It's like, you know, when um, Prime Example of this is when the wheel would put Cena in the cross arm breaker. Yeah. And then Cena would kind of like lift him and powerbomb him, him his way out of it. Like Which, of course, is you know, the UFC, you know, the, the famous Rampage Jackson did that. You know, that's oh, kind of right. the famous, you know, the powerbomb spot from a from a move like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah you were expecting that here. That's how it was going to to break it up, right? Yeah, um, but you can't do it. Triple H then drops a sledgehammer, and he's also going to hit him with it, but then he drops it, and then he eventually taps out, and that gives Undertaker the win. And Harvey's thinking... Where would would have been better if if Triple H just passed out from it? Yeah, you know what? If Triple H passed out from it, I'm pretty sure the internet would have had a fucking you know they would have exploded. You know, um, 
because you know Triple H wouldn't wouldn't tap out. He'd uh, he'd only pass out from the pain. I I think the whole passing out from the pain um, finish to a match. I I think that should be protected and only used unlike you know Austin at WrestleMania 13 and like yeah. you know it's such an emotional last resort finish to a match that I wouldn't throw it out. You know, I wouldn't throw it out here. I think, you know, it worked just as well with Triple H tapping. Yeah. What I should say definitely to point out is because a move like the the Hell's Gate where your face is obscured and obviously Undertaker's crunched up as well. So it's not like an ankle lock where you can see both guys' faces perfectly. Yeah. So it's hard to for guys to sell that. But, um, man, Triple H does a great job here. You can just, you can barely make out his eyes. Yeah. But you can really sense that he feels like He's getting desperate and he's reaching for the sledgehammer and he's propped himself up with it and then he drops it. They really, really like he's a minute in this move or whatever it is. He's in it for ages and yeah. you can just see this great little story unfold about Triple H realizing he had the match won and now he's made one tiny mistake yes. and that's yeah. it. He has to tap out. Brilliant. Yeah. Especially because it's just like out of nowhere. It's like, like yeah, I'm- and you didn't see that in an Undertaker match as a finish. The Undertaker would. You know, very much. You know, he would pin them the tombstone, like you know, on top, making his tongue or whatever. You, you rarely saw Undertaker barely just, you know, getting the submission on and just winning. Like it almost, it felt like an upset by the end of the match that Undertaker yeah. had won, despite the fact that he was, you know, nineteen and zero at this point. Yes, and then you get probably the weirdest visual probably in WrestleMania history where you got because at this time they're sort of doing like you know the fireworks and see the stage saying you know nineteen yeah, and zero, nineteen and zero, yeah. And yet you've got the winner. Uh, lying down on the map, practically dead. <laughs> Which is really weird. And he's taken away in that little car thing. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's the weirdest, it's really entertaining match ever because it's a figure of because Undertaker's won, but it doesn't look that way. because it's- Yeah, and it was funny because it was one of those, it was a rare occurrence where you're able to turn to someone after a match and go, well, I know what match Undertaker and Triple H are having next year. Like, it was obvious yeah. exactly where they were going um you know after this said yes there was a rematch coming and i remember at the time not being too fond of that that being said you know looking back this match was really really great and it really did take a different approach to the whole undertaker streak match and seeing that that visually mentioned at the end yeah undertaker being carted out all the fireworks going off but he's not even conscious to to pay attention man that made for a weird image and it made for some great promo packages for wrestlemania 28 yes um so pretty much i think it's the day after the war after triple h comes out and pretty much said look i'll, I'll give you a rematch and a lot of people think it'll be SummerSlam. did you think you'll be the next year yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I remember this was the after WrestleMania 26. It was pretty safe to assume that Undertaker was going to be working WrestleManias and maybe one or two days around WrestleMania. You know, it was. I think his days of his days of wrestling at SummerSlam, I thought at that point, were well and truly behind him. He might still, you know, come out and do it. There was rumors he was going to be fighting the Shield this year at this SummerSlam. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember thinking, all right, if there's a rematch coming. We can expect it at uh, you know WrestleMania 28. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I'll talk about it when I talk with my guest for the next for the training podcast. But uh, even though I'm a big Triple H fan, I when was I going off? Fuck me, it's going to be another one kind of thing. Like, yeah, because in, in their mind they're kind of like, oh, it's the rematch. But in you know, obviously in most fans' minds, it's kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake, a third match. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it it's felt like. 
and I think around this time as well, people were starting to realize that the streak match was no longer going to be something that a young up-and-comer like a Randy Orton was going to maybe have a shot to, to win. It was going to be big-name, established stars, part-time wrestlers, top guys only were going to be able into that exclusive area with The the Undertaker and have those streak matches. Yeah. So it's quite a closed club now. Very few people are going to be considered for streak matches from this point onwards, it seems. Yes, I mean... Um... I mean, with the story, I mean, I didn't know the way, I didn't know the way that Shawn Michaels just goes, yeah, I'm the special guest for every week, just out of nowhere, and it's never explained why. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, well, like, I think they, as I said, it, it's it's difficult for me remembering this match because I always end up, like, confusing the build for the two separate matches they had because they're yeah. so similar. It's essentially like, I want to beat you. You can't beat me. I beat you before. Yeah, but yeah. you can't beat, you know, Shawn Michaels couldn't beat you. Are you better than Shawn Michaels? And it's like, it's exactly the same, except the next one, he becomes a referee for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they could explain that because during that time, Triple H was kind of had this, like, that kind of, like, a feud with John Laurinaitis. Yeah, all, all it all they had to do was have John Lazarus come up and say, well, I'm making Mega Shawn Michaels guest every week. And that was it. That's all they had to do. But it didn't. Uh, sadly not. But my favourite bit is, I think it's the, it's the war before that match, where get on the take on the stage, got uh, Shawn and Triple H in the wing. And Shawn Taker just said something like, yeah, Shawn Michaels is better than Triple H. And Shawn, and Shawn Michaels has this, this smug look. And the Triple H oh, yeah, stares at him. Yeah. And Sean Madden had to look at him and say, I thought you, we both knew I'm better. <laughs> I did yeah. not think I'm better. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, this match was interesting because obviously they were telling, it was, this match in many ways could just be seen as a setup for the next match, which was yeah. the Hell in the Cell, which by by all accounts, I think it was a much grander, much much more spectacular affair. Oh, I did not match, like yeah. this match at all. I did not like the WrestleMania 27 match at all when it first aired. I remember being really confused reading like, you know, recaps and reviews and people saying, oh, they thought it was match of the night. I was like, really? I didn't think that it was enjoyable at all. That being said, looking back on it now, and you know, the, the street matches have become somewhat formulaic. It was nice. This was the a, a real lone wolf, this match, in terms of telling a different story, which is Undertaker getting the shit knocked out of him. And uh, for that for that alone, I think I've I've actually grown on this match quite a bit. I enjoyed it a lot more than I originally than I originally did. Yeah, I think with me, I mean I enjoyed it at the time and then started as I kind of thought about it more, didn't like it because I didn't like the way that Triple H was dom- dominant from the match. I thought he was dominant for more of the match than he, than he actually was. Yeah, I, I suppose WWE never really works in subtle ways, though, does it? If they yeah. want you to make out that Undertaker is being, you know, ta- you know, is is on the losing end, they're not going to subtly imply that they're going to have Triple H beat the shit out of him with a chair nine yeah. times in a row. That's suppose that's just the the way they work. Yes. Um. So um. This year, Triple uh, Undertaker is facing Brock Lesnar. Um. Do you think that's a good choice for him? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, no, I, I, I think Brock is a good choice because, you know, obviously it's a little late to capitalize and they had that famous, you know, face off at the UFC or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know what? If, if there's one, you know, there's, I'd like to see Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. It's a different beast because Undertaker is obviously, he's obviously, you know, undefeated at WrestleMania. He's got this very mysterious vibe over him the last few years and then he's seeing so little of him now. And then Brock Lesnar is just a fucking straight up badass. Like he's yeah. the scariest man in wrestling by far. No one comes close to Brock Lesnar. Just when you see him come out and he starts screaming and 
throwing monitors around, hitting people in the audience and all yeah. that that he's been doing recently. Uh, yeah, I want to see that because, I mean, it's, it's, I think there's going to be a great story to tell there, which is, you know, the, the, the old veteran Undertaker and the, the younger, just meaner man in Brock Lesnar. And I'm, yeah, I'm really interested to see that. I don't know if the build has been as good as it could have, as, you know, at this point we're like two weeks away from WrestleMania when we're recording this. As it stands, I'm not really sold on the build. But I'm more interested in the match itself. And I'm pretty sure the match will deliver. They've had good matches before. Um, and I like to see them. You'll see a lot of MMA stylings, I think, incorporated in this one. Because obviously Lesnar is a legit MMA competitor. And Undertaker takes a lot from that world in his wrestling style. So I think you can see a lot of submission work. A lot of ground game. Undertaker gets to play UFC for one night only. <laughs> yes, he will. I mean... It's like a UFC fantasy camp, kind of. It'll be for, like, him. Undertaker will have a, a grand old time. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not sure how much of the build-up yet, but I did see Paul Heyman's promo about it, which I absolutely love. It was really good oh, the way he did it. Every time Heyman speaks, it's gold in my book. Um, yes. You know, it's, uh, yeah. So I think in the weeks leading up to this, we can expect some big moment promos from Heyman and... Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what transpires. It'll be interesting to see if Undertaker, like, legitimately, you know, as a shoot, if he survives the night, because, you know, the streak may not be in jeopardy, but Undertaker's ability to ever have another streak match is very much in jeopardy yes, with Brock Lesnar. Yes, it is. Um, simple. Well, I think, I'm, simple. I've been really looking forward to that one. Um, so, Kevin, where can we find you on the internet? You can find us at AE Podcast on Twitter or Facebook.com forward slash Aditera Podcast. You can search for us on iTunes. We're also on SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you have not listened to our show, we review the pay-per-views of the Attitude Era starting at WrestleMania 14 and working onwards. If you've never seen the Attitude Era, it's a good chance to find out what it's about. Or if you have seen the Attitude Era, it's a good chance to see if it stands up after all these years. So, um, for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Loda Wrestling. Um, and also my website is lowdownwrestling.blogspot.com uh, just spoken more on the podcast and paper reviews and then after WrestleMania I hope to write more opinion pieces um, so Kevin, Hey Robert, so that you know uh, the, 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 when I first uh, you first contacted me about doing this I, I, I did it solely because you were named after one of my favourite wrestlers in D'Lo Brown and you had an amazing name in Lowdown Wrestling but it has been an absolute pleasure to actually uh, <laughs> to relive these moments you, you've lived up to the high standard of D'Lo Brown in these, uh, in these episodes Okay, thank you very much for that and, yes, and um, join me join us next time where I'll be with Don Owens who was at the West Minute Critic match himself and where we face Triple H Part 3 in Hell in a Cell um, until then thank you for listening and goodbye <laughs>